Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. John 3, 1-21, John 19, 39-42. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again, be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God, God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does Evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, 
the two men wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Hear the word of the Lord. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Scott, and I'll be speaking over the next three Wednesdays on how God addresses our religious struggles. And these are the kind of talks you might do at a, at a camp or a retreat. They're three talks in a row. And the points I'm going to be making is that God cares about our religious struggles. And as a result, he offers us life, light and love. So I'll be working through those kind of ideas over the next few weeks. So today we're dealing with uh, John 3 and the topic of life. God cares about our religious struggles. Well, you might say, well, what are religious struggles? There's this whole body of psychology that says that if you suffer from mental illness or you are suffering in any way, you will want to resolve your struggles on a biological level, on a psychological level, and on a social level as well. That's the biopsychosocial model. But if you're a religious believer, it's more complicated because you've got a religious register on which you want to resolve your issues. So if we're struggling with psychosis or depression or some kind of addiction issue, not only do you have to resolve the biological distress, the psychological distress, the social distress, but you want to ask as a religious believer, where's God involved in this? Uh, why is God allowing this to happen? Um, is there something wrong with me before God that is causing this? Is there a demonic element? Is there a divine punishment element? So being a religious believer is quite complicated in the context of suffering, even if we're not experiencing mental health struggles. And what we see with Nicodemus is somebody who's experiencing religious distress. And what John 3 does is it makes it clear for us that there's a number of registers of Nicodemus's religious distress. So there's the sacred dimension. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you the one? I can see that God's doing amazing things through you, but, but are you the one? Is Jesus the promised Messiah of Psalm 2? The one who's going to come in with his iron rod and crush the enemies and get rid of the Romans? Is he the one? Nicodemus is a leader of his people. He's part of the elite ruling group. He's a Pharisee. He knows the Scriptures well and he's expecting God to act. But the people are suffering. God, where are you? This is classic religious struggles. So we see in our passage, he wants to know whether Jesus is the one. He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. The thing is that Jesus isn't what he expected. They were expecting someone different. And then we notice the social and personal dimensions of his religious struggle. See, he comes to Jesus alone. You'll notice at the beginning of the passage, 
He's a Pharisee, Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. These are all kind of group things. He's part of a council. He's a member. He's part of a group, but he comes to Jesus alone. That's kind of weird. And he also comes at night. It's weird that a leader would be sneaking up to a self-proclaimed rabbi. This is probably an aspect of shame, of hiding, not wanting to be known, a little bit of guilt, a bit, bit of transgression. So, you know, this is hard for him. Sacred dimension, social dimension of religious struggle. And then this is the great thing about John's gospel. It highlights that there's a Christological dimension to religious struggles. Whatever you're dealing with as a Christian or a non-Christian, we need to reckon with the Christological dimension of religious struggles. That is, as a person who is suffering from spiritual distress, how am I relating to Jesus? And what Jesus says is that that's the core question. That if we try to deal with our religious struggles, aside from him, we're not going to get anywhere. So this is where we meet German Jesus, blunt Jesus, who cuts through. And you can tell it's going to happen because when he says truly, truly, you're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and uh, he says to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So he's saying to Nicodemus, if you want to resolve your spiritual questions and problems and distress, they're not going to be resolved unless you resolve them and begin to resolve them in the context of God with us in Christ. We can begin to resolve our religious distress in the context of the kingdom of God, as Paul says, that's the kingdom of righteousness, right relating to God, to one another and to self, of peace, so shalom, wholeness, and of joy in the spirit, being in ways that are celebration worthy. In the context of righteousness, shalom and joy in the spirit, we can begin to resolve our religious distress. If we try to resolve our religious problems aside from Christ, we're not going to get anywhere. Why is that? Well, Jesus explains again very bluntly. He says that because people are caught in darkness unless they are in the light and in life with God. As it says here in 319b, people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. If you're not with Jesus and you're not in the kingdom of God, you're not going to resolve your religious issues. This was a live question for me on the weekend. I was watching my cousin Jet play footy. Yes, Jet is his real name. And he was um, playing uh, up in the hills in Seville. And he's not a Christian. He's not from a Christian background at all. He kind of vaguely knows there's a God. And he goes through these rituals, he was telling me, of putting um, salt beside his bed at night. And on the other side of the bed, he puts these like little ashes that he gets from burning these dried um, flowers that they burn on the weekends to cleanse the house. It's kind of a commonish ritual up in the hills. And anyway, um, but it's not working. So he has um, nightmares. He re-sees images from films about like demonic sort of stuff and it keeps him up and he... He wakes up and, you know, there are a lot of elements to what's going on here. How is Jet going to resolve his 
religious struggles. Well, Jesus says that unless you're born again into the kingdom of God, they're not going to be resolved. Why is that? That's a bit harsh. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, Jesus is saying that fundamentally every person needs to be receiving light, life and love from God in the kingdom of heaven. And that there's a relational context in which we need to resolve these problems. And if you're not in that context, you're just not going to sort them out. So I said to Jet, well, you know, it's not working for you. What do you reckon is going to happen? That's a hard question. He's quite distressed about it. How do we as Christians approach people with religious struggles? What do we have to offer? Well, the great news is that Jesus offers new life, new possibilities, because sin may be forgiven and you can be baptised by the Spirit. Here it says in the passage, you can receive new life. How? You can be given a birth in water and spirit. Here it says in John 3, 5. Waters of cleansing, so forgiveness of sin, and a new birth by the Spirit, a new infusion of life by God's Holy Spirit. So that means that people like Jet, who are made by God and made for God, can be in relationship with God again because sin is forgiven. And because you have a new infusion of life. In Christian history, the way this has been understood is by way of a wordplay to do with affection. People cannot resolve questions to do with God if we are not in a relationship of affection with Him, if we're not in a relationship of love. If you are out of affection with God, there's a defection that's happened. You've left God. And as a result, there's going to be a deficit, a disorder, a deformation of the soul. So what God offers us is forgiveness of sins, of sins and their guilt and the tendency to sin. He will heal you and give you new life so you stop living in those habits of sin. He will give you new life and in that context of new life, then you can start asking, God, where are you? Who am I before you? My cousin Jet's problems are a little bit like my calluses on my hands. Can you see my calluses? Yeah, they're disgusting, aren't they? Um, in fact, last year um, here in chapel, I came up to chapel. Andy Judd was there and he saw it. Put my hands up for, for chapel like this, and the guy looked at my hands and he's like, Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with calluses? Well, it, it's not the way things should be. They're kind of gray and yellow, and you can put knives in them and pins in them, they don't bleed, <laughs> they're lifeless. And what's happened is literally you've squeezed the blood out of them because you've put them through torment. Right. And that's what happens with our souls. Through the habits of living in darkness, we literally squeeze the spiritual life out of our soul. 
we become calloused. Isaiah 6 uses that language to speak about the human condition. You can't hear God. You can't see God. You can't experience God. Of course you experience religious struggles. Paul says the same thing. People have become calloused. So what we need is grace and God's power to break in. Unless God breaks in with his amazing power, you're done. You're one of these. And it's not just a problem for you. My kids used to refer to my calluses as my scratchies. They didn't like it when I put my arm around them on their shoulder at the beach because they scratch. Shake someone's hand, they're like, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. So your calluses on your soul, they're a problem for you and for other people. You're confused. You're not in the habit of loving and giving life to others. You don't live in the kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. But God offers you forgiveness and he offers you new life, a new beginning. Of course, Nicodemus is an Aussie. He's realistic. He's like, don't be silly. How can you be born again? Jesus says that God can do the impossible. And just as you can't understand really the way the wind works, it's a mystery. We can't understand that mystery, but we see it happen. That's the thing. It's possible and we see it happening. How? Well, it's in the story of Nicodemus, man. Jesus says at the very end in chapter 3 that it may be the case that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You can see the transformation that happens. And that's exactly what we see in this story. In John 19, we see a transformed Nicodemus. So we've spoken about not having affection for God, being lost in darkness, being calloused. Nicodemus coming alone to Jesus. Well, watch this. Nicodemus and Joseph, so two people, he's not alone anymore. Something's happened. Two people come and they ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. There's been a supernatural change in Nicodemus's life. Rather than being in a state of defection away from God, he has an affection for Jesus. He loves Jesus. They come and they get the body, verse 38. He's accompanied by Nicodemus a man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. And then in verse 42, they laid Jesus there. See the love, the reverence that they have for Jesus? A new life has been given. They have been infused with a love for Christ. Whatever happens to them now, And it's dodgy. Look, they've gone up to um, Pilate and they fear, it says in verse 38, the Jewish leaders. There's still fear there. Your religious struggles don't go away when you become a Christian. They just become different. But here's the thing. You're dealing with your religious struggles in the context of the kingdom of God, God with us, in righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. There's still fear there. But there's been a transformation. There's an affection for Jesus. They're treating him like someone who deserves honour. 
He is the king. We don't know how the wind works and we don't know precisely how supernatural new life is given to us once we've been forgiven, but we know it happens. And this is my hope for Jet and my other friends who are struggling. In the context of suffering, they have religious spiritual questions. Guys, we live in an age of deconstruction. It's not just Christians, it's everyone. People just don't know where they belong anymore, which is weird because we're made in God's image for God. But hey, that's the way it is. So we need to be ready to say to Jet, fundamentally, you need your sins forgiven, you need to be born again by the Spirit, and you, watch mate, you are going to become a lover of God and a lover of people in ways that are going to blow you away. And it's great when you see it. I've seen it in Fern Tree Gully. <laughs> if you can change those people, you can change anything. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm honest. I remember once I went to, um, to Germany, went to the Black Forest, saw an exhibit of like kind of the wildlings of Germany in the 6th century, and I thought, oh, that's just Fern Tree Gully. Anyway, they became Christians. People from Fern Tree Gully can become Christians. So here's the thing for us. As we think about what kind of churches we develop, what kind of cultures we develop, what's in place to promote forgiveness of sin and new life in the Spirit. John's Gospel says we need to offer people the Scriptures because in them you search for Jesus and you find Jesus. John's Gospel says we need to offer the Eucharist. That's the body and the flesh of Christ. John's Gospel says that we need to love one another. That's the key command that Jesus leaves his disciples, that they love one another. So it seems to me at minimum, if we create missionary communities where love is seen, God's word is proclaimed and understood, and we share in the Eucharist, we're beginning to form the kind of communities in which religious struggles will be begin to be resolved and people have new life. Imagine a non-callous society. Imagine if Victoria was renewed to the point where when we're dealing with a crisis in hospitals, the first sentence out of people's mouth wasn't to blame the former government and their failures. Imagine if we really cared for one another. You know, God can do that. He can renew whole societies and we've seen it. And he's brought us here, every one of us, now to be part of his work involved in the forgiveness of sins and new life as people naturally experience religious struggles in 2022. God bless you as you take Jesus' mission and the recognition of the social, sacred and Christological aspects of religious struggles seriously. I'm going to pray now. Jesus, you promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. Lord, we know that you're here. We thank you for the new life that you've given us. Lord Jesus, if there is someone here today who has not come forward asking for forgiveness of sins and for new life, Jesus, work in their life that they might come forward that they might pray 
and receive their new life and that today receiving communion might be the beginning of a new life. We pray, Jesus, that you work in all our lives so that you might give us that affection for you. And perhaps if the new life has been slow and just begun, Lord, may you gush through your new life in us. Heal us. Bring us closer to you so that we might adore you and have affection for you in the way that we see Nicodemus have that new affection for you. Bring us to accompany one another in friendship and in Christian love, we pray. Lord God, we want to thank you so much for the fact that you've brought us here and now to be part of your mission in Victoria. And we pray that we may see many people come to new loving life in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.